0: Oh, the jungle VIP. I've the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me It's the dawning a of a new pop, Disney decade and right Hello and welcome, you're man, listening to Mouse
1: Madness man, man, A podcast dedicated to bracketing man. all things Disney I'm Chris Bowersox
2: And I'm Kyle Skinner
1: And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic Generate a bracket And debate our way through the madness To figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at mouse pod send us an email at mouse podcast at gmail.com, or join our Discord server, which is linked in the description of this episode. All right, Kyle, we got a whole new topic, a little bit different than normal, but it's very timely, very relevant.
2: Yeah, I'm excited because we're kind of leaving these more specific topics, the princes, the, the mighty ducks, the animated movies, and we're really going extremely broad with our topic this week, um, or for the next couple of weeks. Um, and to help us get through it, we have a uh, day one listener of the show, my friend from back home, it is Tess. Tess. Welcome to Mouse Madness.
0: Thanks for having me, you guys. I feel like this has been a great outlet for my Disney nerdiness. So sorry in advance, everyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We've appreciated all of your feedback. You are someone who tweets us, emails us all the time. So we are happy to get all of your Disney takes live on the air so that all of our listeners can hear all of the great things you have to say. Before we start, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Disney you told us before we started the call that you were listening to Moana on your drive home from work today.
0: Um, well, like any, you know, Disney 90s kid, you know, I wore out all the VHS tapes growing up. Um, so it was mostly through Disney movies. Um, some of my favorites are um, old school ones like Beauty and the Beast, Aristocats. I feel like I w- watched those a lot. Um, I didn't start going to Disneyland a lot. I didn't become a pass holder till about four years ago. So um, I had vacationed, you know, probably to Disneyland probably every year for the last, you know, for five years. And then I became a pass holder um, and then I moved down here. So being a pass holder was totally different then. So, um, so it's just one of those things that I've watched the movies. I never grew out of it. I just always listened to the music. So it's just... It's it's been a ride, um, especially being a pass holder now. Um, I was kind of always afraid that if I was a pass holder, some of that Disney magic would go away. Um, but I call it my most expensive form of therapy, going to Disneyland. <laughs> so um, I'm going nearly every weekend, and the magic doesn't go away. If anything, I just kind of learn more of the ins and outs, and I still enjoy. Um, I have my friends from back home, if they want to come visit and go to Disneyland, they can stay at my place and we go, so um, then I get to show them around Disneyland and it's a lot of fun. So, there's a lot, I it's it's one of those things, when you ask Disney nerds, what's your favorite part about Disney? I you know, I'm not gonna get the right answer because it's just so many things. But you'll you'll see <laughs> through our conversation, I'm sure.
1: TLDR, Tess is very qualified to talk about all this stuff. Go ahead. I had to ahead. do a
0: lot of research. Actually, I'm so glad Kyle sent me the seeds because I, with Star Wars and Avengers and everything, I'm less um, equipped and all that stuff. And I I have Avatar on the screen right now, so I'm just I did a lot of research <laughs> in the last couple of days. So hopefully this goes well. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. Well, before we dive into our our topic and our bracket here, we have to, of course, talk about our spoonful of sugar. Um, Chris, why don't you go ahead and lead us off?
1: My spoonful of sugar for this episode is Taco Bell, as in (laughs) Enchanted Tales with Taco Bell, as in there must be more than this provincial life. Just watch, I'm going to make Taco Bell my wife
2: amazing well I'm over here uh, I this is gonna be a big bracket for us so for this first episode I'm gonna take it a little easy I'm just sipping on a light beer uh, where I want to make sure that my points are coherent my points are understood in this bracket so I'm gonna start off easy and hop into the new year with something a little bit more fun but test you have a spoonful of sugar that you're bringing to the show this week
0: I do. Um, it's a little bit of rum, but I ran out of rum, so then I put a shot of vodka and then <laughs> some peach juice and a little bit of cranberry. I'm going to call it the Rise of Rum Walker.
2: Wow. I love that. That's very relevant to the timing of this release. I think that's awesome.
1: So as we approach a new year, I quickly want to go over and state some Disney New Year's Resolutions. Things Disney-related that you'd like to accomplish in 2020. Kyle, where are you at with this?
2: Mine's pretty simple because I missed out on it in this past year, but I would like to go and experience Galaxy's Edge and ride both of the rides in the New Year because by the time I get there, they will both be open. So... um. Not a huge Star Wars guy, but I feel like as a Parks fan, this is something that's uh, essential to, to experience when I go down to Anaheim. So my resolution is to make sure that I hit both of those rides on my next trip. What's yours, Chris?
1: Mine is pretty specific and one that I'm probably going to accomplish. This year I rented a book from the library called The Art of Frozen. And it had a bunch of really cool concept art, both hand-painted, hand-drawn, computer-generated, early rendering sketches of pretty much everything in Frozen. Even had photography from, like, um, locations that they used for inspiration in Norway. And I thought it was really cool to see all of that behind-the-scenes stuff. And it was in this really nice, like, aesthetically pleasing coffee table book and so my new year's resolution is to buy more disney art books i'm currently furnishing a new apartment so <laughs> i'd like to put them on my new coffee table and maybe even maybe even some retro disney posters
2: there you go I love tess it.
1: you got any disney resolutions
0: i thought about this recently actually and disney made it come true already which is great um, I really wanted a continue watching um, part of Disney Plus, <laughs> and they brought that. Um, and it's actually the kinks have worked out a little bit better. So I don't, I that's all I wanted, and they, they gave it.
1: Uninterrupted Disney Plus binging. You deserve it.
2: All right. So once again, before we unveil what our final bracket of 2019 is going to be, we need to announce what the demographic of the folks who seated our picks here are. So we're in the middle of December right now, and the New Year is coming up, and so we sent the interns down to the park, and we had them ask people uh, two questions. One was if they plan on going to Disneyland to celebrate the New Year, so on December 31st, and then number two was for them to choose 16 uh, things from this past decade. So. That is our demographic. It is folks who said yes to the first question. Folks who are going to be braving the crowds on December 31st to welcome in 2020. Chris, I know that you've done this before. You've gone to the park on New Year's. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah. I've done it three times. Okay. I think it was 06, 07, and 2017. Uh, yeah, I took like 10 years off of that because <laughs> it is physically very demanding. It's great because you get a couple extra hours that the park's open. It's open till 2. One of the times we went, we tried to do our own version of Gumball Rally where we try to ride every single attraction in Disneyland Park. We didn't even attempt park hopping. And we did it. We did it. We, we got onto Peter Pan's flight, I think right after midnight. Uh, And then we left the park right after. We were like, we don't need two more hours. Like, we're we're done. Um, Food was very hard to come by. Bathroom lines were very long. Queues are insane for every ride. I would not recommend it, honestly. Uh, Maybe 10 years ago, I would have recommended it. But my experience last time was not very pleasant. um, And I was... I had to take a few days and just kick my feet up to recover from that. I think we ended up walking like almost 20 miles. It's crazy. Um, oh, yeah. So I feel for all those brave souls that have made that decision. Have you ever done it, Tess?
0: Uh, no. I, I've just been living down here with my past. So holidays, I never traveled. But I did go during 4th of July this year and attempted to watch fireworks, which... I, uh, we were at the the dance party that they have by Tomorrowland that keeps rotating that they started during Pixar Fest. Uh-huh. Um, we were there before the fireworks started, like maybe an hour before, and we attempted to go to Small World because we thought it would be better, and we couldn't get past the... Um, in front of Matterhorn, there's like the Chimichanga um, restaurant. Um, we yeah. couldn't get past there because it was just packed with people. So I didn't <laughs> see the projections. <laughs> But I heard the popping of the fireworks and heard the patriotic music, but but it cleared out after that, so we went to Star Wars land right after that, and it was fun, so.
2: Yeah, I have not experienced uh, the parks on a major holiday, but I also have never lived in Southern California, so uh, there was no easy access to get down there during the holidays. Well, I've already kind of hinted at it, we are ready to announce our Bracket if we can get a drum roll please the final bracket of our 2019 podcast is the best disney thing of the 2010s we're wrapping up the decade
1: it's a decade retrospective people everyone's doing it and honestly there is a lot to talk about this was a very very dominant decade for disney
2: it was and we are we're talking Disney as the entire company not just movies not just parks but everything so there's there's a lot of uh choices here that the the folks that plan on being there for for the new year chose that are really encompassing of the entire uh company so let's hop in let's uh let's announce this bracket cue the dramatic music oh snap
1: Claiming the number one seed, The Avengers.
2: Will this movie continue to dominate our podcast? Coming in with the number two seed, It's Frozen.
1: Coming in at the number three seed, the new kid on the block, Disney+. Plus.
2: A renovation that saved a park. Coming in at the number four seed is Disney California Adventure 2.0. The
1: force is strong with this franchise. Taking the number five seed, Star Wars.
2: Wakanda forever. Coming in at the number six seed, it's Black Panther.
1: I like big parks and I cannot lie, coming in at number seven seed, Shanghai Disney.
2: Flying in on their Banshee, it's number eight, Pandora.
1: A number nine seed, 60 years in the making, Projection Mapping.
2: Changing the line cutting game forever. Coming in at the number 10 seed, it's MaxPass slash FastPass Plus.
1: Remember that movie? Coming in at the number 11 seed, Live Action Remakes.
2: (laughs) A topic that Tess will have quite a bit of insight into. Coming in at the number 12 seed, Annual Passes. To the Spire, with the number 13 seed, Galaxy's Edge. We're going to call it Downtown Disney East. Coming in at number 14 seed is Disney Springs. Number 15
1: seed is for members only. It's D23.
2: Coming in at number 16 on the bracket, but number one in my heart, it is Trader Sam's Enchanted Tiki Bar. All right. So there's quite a spread of, uh, of entities and topics and and just everything here. Uh, Tess, what do you think of this bracket of 16 that our demographic has provided for us?
0: It definitely hits all ends of the spectrum. I know you guys brought me in because I know all things Disney and I had to research like most of these. so um, it kept me on my toes. but uh, it forced me to watch a lot of films and research different parts of the parks or like other parks that I hadn't been before been to before. Like I watched Black Panther for the first time. I had no oh. excuse. So good. I have yeah. so many good things to say about it. Um, so, and I'm excited to just hear what y'all have to say about everything else.
1: Okay, without any further ado, let's get into this decade retrospective with the first matchup number one, the Avengers versus number 16, Trader Sam's. Now, the Avengers is so much more than just a movie, the Avengers is every Marvel cinematic universe movie that came out this decade. It's the spin-offs, it's the origin films, it's all four Avengers movies. There's a lot. You know, when you think about just what this decade looked like, maybe not what was the best thing, but what it looked like, Avengers is if it's not the top thing, it's top three. Um it was in everyone's face all year long dominated the box office every single year the marvel movie was at the top Um, and all of those characters combined to make the avengers i'm not a huge avengers guy myself i really like the guardians of the galaxy but as far as like spider-man thor iron man the whole captain america i never really got super into it I have seen all the Avengers movies just because I like knowing what's going on, but um, I haven't seen like every single one of like the Doctor Strange and like all those ones. I'm sure I'll watch them for a future bracket, but um, I understand the popularity, just not for me. And and I respect what Marvel has done for the Disney company, bringing in tons of money and tons of recognition, and you know it put Disney at the forefront of like everything. I think when you think about this decade, the story is Disney going from just a multimedia conglomerate to being like the owner of the world. (laughs) And Disney isn't just like a thing you consume once in a while, but it's like a person that you are. And so the Avengers is kind of like a good little mini representation of that. Um, The voting for Disney to acquire Marvel happened on December 31st, 2009. So the first. Day of the decade was the first day Marvel was a Disney property officially. So it's just it's just perfect. Yeah. And the final Avengers movie came out this year. So it's like literally perfect. Um the first Avengers film didn't come out until 2012, but um I digress. For those of you that don't know what Trader Sam's is, it is a tiki bar. The one in California is at the Disneyland Hotel, the one in Orlando is at the Disney Polynesian Village Resort. I had actually not been to Trader Sam's until Kyle made me go there for lunch one day, and I was (laughs) extremely blown away by this place. I mean, it is immersive theming, incredible drinks, really a great experience. I think we spent like almost two hours probably just chilling at Trader Sam's in the middle of this Disney day where we spent like 160 bucks to go into the park. (laughs) And Trader Sam's was a highlight of my day. Great place to just kick back in the middle of your super exhausting Disney day. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Also, it has this super diehard fan following. There are all of these collectible, mugs and cups that they release regularly people line up for like hours to get these mugs i know kyle has a few of them and frequent listeners of this podcast will know that we use a lot of trader sam's drink recipes for our spoonful of sugar segments when I'm thinking about best disney thing that defines the decade it's probably avengers over trader sam's but if i'm talking about like On a small scale, like, let's actually break this down, like, personal enjoyment, I think Trader Sam's is more enjoyable than the Avengers. Like, Avengers is so bloated and boring to me at times, and Trader Sam's is a delight. All right? He's a delight. (laughs) So, I'm going to go with the upset here. I am going to give this one to Trader Sam's over the Avengers.
2: I mean, I'm a huge Tiki Bar fan. I love Tiki Bars. One of the original California Tiki Bars is here, based in Oakland, um, Trader Vic's. And I got a soft spot for just what Tiki stands for within the Disney company. I mean, uh, Walt Disney was obviously influenced by Polynesian culture. You see that in The Jungle Cruise. You see that in The Enchanted Tiki Room. Um, and this just continues his kind of vision uh, for what uh, a Disney attraction is. And I think that you can basically qualify this this bar as an attraction with all the theming and, and the different effects that it has going on within the bar itself. However, I think that when I think of what is the best, best Disney thing of the 2010s, I think that the acquisition and the furthering of Marvel helped Disney not only accumulate funds to continue to bring us uh, incredible movies and attractions and parks, but um, also just grow as a company. And so as much as I love Trader Sam's, I think that the Avengers series itself uh, which really revitalized the superhero genre, is much better for Disney and Disney fans than Trader Sam's. but uh, espe- Especially because Trader Sam's is really just for the park goers and not for the everyday person.
1: Okay, if you use that argument, the Avengers already won. I mean, and no. Star
2: Wars. I mean, no. Because in this matchup, that's how I'm seeing it. You got to go magic. All right, well,
1: you can expect a counter-argument from me very soon and using that own logic against you.
2: Can't wait to hear it. All right, Tess, we already have a tie that needs to be broken.
0: I literally didn't think this would be the bracket that I would be helping make a decision for. Um, (laughs) So I find this hilarious. Um, So... I am a recent Avengers fan. I didn't watch them from the beginning. I mean Iron Man came out in like 08 or something like that so um, that was a while back but um, uh, funny story. I started watching the Avengers movies because through Disney Movie Club I accidentally bought Infinity War which was such a weird movie to possess and not having watched many of the other ones Um, so it forced (laughs) me to watch the movies. I love Captain Marvel. Loved Infinity War and Endgame. Loved uh, I love all the way all the stories connect. Um, a good way to catch up on Avengers is to look up the Infinity Stones and where they land in all the movies. So that's a good way to kind of brush up your Avengers knowledge. Um, I get how if you're not a, if you're a person from the outside coming in later, they can seem kind of boring. But when you really get into it, you really see the beauty and. Um, Just everything wonderful wonderful about that franchise. I love Trader Sam's. Um, Their fried long beans are delicious. It's so (laughs) ridiculous that my favorite thing coming out of Tiki Bar are fried green beans, but they're delicious. (laughs) Love the theming. Um, Wish they had more places to sit so I don't have to stand there to wait for a drink, but it is great. Um, But when you're looking at Avengers franchise versus... Trader Sam's, Avengers, it just has to win. So I choose Avengers.
2: All right, we have our first tie has been broken. It is the Avengers franchise moving on. Let's go ahead and head down the bracket. We have number eight Pandora versus number nine projection mapping. Um, I think that uh, these kind of almost go hand in hand, right? It's, it's a lot about theming here. Pandora is the kind of avatar-themed land that's in Walt Disney World, um, at Animal Kingdom, and uh, projection mapping is a technology that has really s- set the standard across the theming world, both at theme and amusement parks, but also in places like Chicago, where they're projection mapping things onto uh, buildings to make the buildings look different and change the landscaping there. So it it's interesting. and. And researching this, I found that a lot of sources cite projection mapping as starting at Disney, and the first instance of it being uh, Madame Leota in the Haunted Mansion, and how they had to figure out how to um, project a face onto, essentially, a sculpture of a head um, of just a bus, and how to make that look lifelike. And they were able to figure that out, and I've read, actually, a couple of books on it, and... And how, uh, how much of a task that was. Pandora is an extremely immersive land. I haven't personally been there, but in research and in just seeing photos of it, it looks incredible. Does does it do anything for the company that that either improves it or or adds to what Disney is compared to projection mapping? Uh, I don't know that it does. I think that. Projection mapping is, is the basis and the foundation of what Disney considers to be high-quality product, and it's it's more important of a, of a step for the company than Pandora is, in my opinion. So uh, not a big upset, but an upset at that. I'm choosing projection mapping to move past Pandora into the Elite Eight.
1: Yeah, you definitely nailed that whole analysis, um Foundation is a great word to use when talking about projection mapping. A lot of the things on this bracket would not be possible without projection mapping. Um, Pandora, I've been there a couple of times. It's cool at nighttime, very, very cool the way that they do lighting and stuff, but at times can feel unsafe because it's a little bit dark. But, like, it has to be that way to see, like, the glowing rocks and stuff like that. Um, The two rides at Pandora, the Navi River Journey, is very missable. It's not great at all. It's pretty confusing and seems pretty pointless. Um, Flight of Passage is, it's good, but I think extremely overrated and not worth the weights that it's getting, um... I was there over spring break, and this attraction's been open for over a year now, and it's still got literally four-hour wait, Um, and I would put Flight of Passage in the same tier as Soarin' over California, Hmm. Um, and I mean, it was cool, but yeah, I would not wait longer than an hour for that thing, Um, and also, people don't really identify Avatar and Disney together yet. Yeah. Maybe they will in 2020-something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, just on its own, from a macro perspective, all-around projection mapping, definitely the better Disney thing than Pandora.
2: Tess, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, I agree with both of you. Um, just coming from the parks perspective, um, ever since, I'm not sure when they started using more projection mapping. Being in like, the fireworks show, but I think ever since Pixar Fest, it's really lifted off and it's become a standard for the fireworks show. Um, I feel like before the fireworks were just, you know, you've seen them, you've seen them all, but this really just changed the whole experience. Just the uphouse lifting off at the sentimental moment of the Pixar fireworks is just the best. Um, and it also allows an opportunity um, to still have nighttime entertainment, if fireworks have to be canceled due to weather, they'll still play the projections, which is great that people aren't left completely disappointed. So, uh, yeah. I agree that projection mapping is awesome.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to dis- to just bring up that despite projection mapping beginning in the 60s and and later f- late 50s. Um, in this decade is where it really took off and I think that's how it made this bracket is that it was best utilized um, during this decade so uh, yeah projection mapping's moving on
1: okay we'll go ahead and move right on to our next matchup the number four seed California adventure 2.0 versus number 13 seed galaxy's edge I mean this is a really tough one these are two parks projects going head to head when talking about galaxy's edge i think a lot of people maybe had too high expectations for galaxy's edge um and the feedback after the land open was mostly really negative um and i don't really know what people were expecting especially considering that the e-ticket ride wasn't open it's just a land you know it's a place you're meant to spend couple of hours just a small part of your disney day i i think people were maybe exp- expecting something much more than that like a full-on star wars theme park or something um i think they did a really good job with all of the detail that they put into it the kind of like mini world bu- building that they did with it especially with like the stormtroopers that are walking around in the land all of the cast members are trained and kind of how to speak to maintain the illusion that you're actually on Batu. California Adventure renovation project started towards the end of the aughts, but it was completed in 2010s, and it really saved California Adventure. I mean, we don't have to talk at all about how bad California Adventure was received when it opened um, in the early 2000s. They took the opportunity to plug a billion dollars into just Pretty much redoing the park. You know, making sure that they had that real high quality Disney detail every inch of the park. They also added Cars Land, and they have recently taken Bugs Land away from us. And you probably, I don't know that if I would consider it part of California Adventure 2.0, but Tower of Terror was lost as well. I think I'm. Going to go with the California Adventure um, overhaul uh, up against Galaxy's Edge just because it took California Adventure from being an afterthought, something pretty irrelevant, to a place that you really want to go visit. Um, they did a great job with the Incredicoaster, a great job with Midway Mania, a great job completely retheming the entire Paradise Pier area, turning it from like a Venice Beach trashy tourist trap carnival into like a real authentic like east coast boardwalk um you know california venture is not perfect um but i I definitely think it took a lot of positive steps forward with its uh 2.0 a redo so i'm giving it to uh, california venture
2: yeah i don't have any real pushback on this one i think uh the importance to the company of dca 2.0 is much more vast than what Galaxy's Edge did. I think Galaxy's Edge was really to solidify the partnership with Lucasfilm and be like now that we own this property we can do more than just Star Tours while DCA if they didn't do any of that like who knows you bulldoze it and make it a parking lot again like it just it wasn't a revenue generating area for the company and I think that not only did they revamp it to make it a better park, but they made it a better Disney park, and I think that's what's super important, is that not only is it just better as an amusement and theme park, and just in the theme as it is, but you feel like it's a Disney park, and and even with Galaxy's Edge, you feel like it's a Disney park because it's so immersive and the theming is so well done, but I think when you if you compare the theming of what's the best Disney thing, it's going to be DCA 2.0. So I agree with you. DCA 2.0 would be moving on test. Did you have that moving on as well? Or were you going to galaxy's edge?
0: I ignored this part of the bracket because I wouldn't have known what to pick. It's so, (laughs) they're so vastly different. Um, yeah, they, they recently went over Disney 2.0 in episode five, I think of the Imagineering story. Um, so this was fresh in my brain when I was researching it. So, um, a lot of great things came out of D- uh, Disney or DCA 2.0 um, World of Color came out of that, which is just still my favorite nighttime entertainment, to be honest. It's so great the way that they just have, you know, the water technology, especially the new technology with the new World of Color show. It, it, there's a lot more technology within it, um, which is really exciting. Um you know, they brought Midway Mania and Goofy's Fly School and the Little Mermaid ride. So, a lot of great things came out of it, as well as Cars Land. Galaxy's Edge is great. Um, especially, one of my favorite things is watching the fireworks over the spires over there. It's a really pretty view. Um, you know, you got Olga's Cantina, which looks just like, what is it, Episode 4 or Episode 5. Um, so, that's, that was amazing. Um, the nerdiest reason why I love Star Wars Land is that um, I always, when I went to Disneyland during the 60th anniversary, there was all this nighttime entertainment and you could get stuck in places or you were just herded like cattle. And so constantly we kept on going to Splash Mountain at night. And so we'd get stuck there, whether it was from Fantasyland or whatever. Um, so the fact that Star Wars Land loops around by Hungry Bear honestly makes me so happy that there's another way around the park. Um So both are great, but I agree that DCA 2.0 was absolutely necessary to save the company. So I think it's really important.
2: Yeah, right on. I didn't even think about the crowd movement uh, aspect, but yeah, that's super important for Galaxy's Edge. All right, moving right down. We have another Lucasfilm uh, topic here. We have number five, Star Wars versus number 12, annual passes. Um, Annual passes really took off this decade. Um, they were introduced in a, in a form in the nineties, but really took off in this decade. And Disney was really bragging about having over a million pass holders and, and, uh, and all of the different perks for pass holders. And I've never personally had one, but I've associated myself obviously with folks that have them. And I go to parks with people that have them and can reap the benefits of annual pass holders for sure. Um, dining discounts, merch discounts. It's great. I think it's awesome. Um, Star Wars, obviously, in the 2010s, Star Wars was revamped. You have episode, uh, you have The Force Awakens that comes out to really kick things off that Star Wars is back, and we are going to really end this Skywalker saga, and we're about to see it end at the end of this decade, so it's kind of this open book, closed book within this decade um it's brought in a ton of new fans it's brought in a ton of new themes um what you could kind of assume to be the quintessential star wars fans from the original trilogies and even the prequels is more of a male-centric audience and you really see an effort to bring in this more female centric audience with the the new trilogy um and i think that's great and it's and it's something that Disney has really sh- strived for in this decade is to be much more inclusive than it had been in, in past decades. I think that's, if they're never going to tell you that, but that's probably top of their list in their in their meetings is how inclusive is this experience. When I think about like, what what's the best Disney thing? Like, it's hard for me to choose because I'm not necessarily like a big fan of either. I see the the benefits of annual pass holders and and just annual passes in general and like the revenue that that brings in just as we brought up with dca and just as i brought up with avengers um the revenue that that brought in allowed them to do a lot more including more of dca 2.0 with pixar pier coming in later in the decade and and helping to open shanghai Uh, about middle of this decade, the annual pass program really helped that. One, because it's super expensive, but two, because the the payment plans allow people to pay the company in manageable payments, which is just a stream of revenue for the rest of eternity for them. And they're going to bump it up, bump it up, bump it up, but as long as they keep the payment plan, people are still going to be able to do it. Now, the negative of it is that it has led to such overcrowding of the parks, and that's always been cited, and, and that's, I think, that will never, ever change, and I think that's just what it is, and it's kind of... We're seeing kind of the decline in tests. You can kind of speak to this when, when we're done here, but, like, it once Galaxy's Edge showed up, it really seemed like the the park attendance was... More so, annual pass holders were going, but maybe not as frequently, because they were afraid of a lot of Star Wars fans showing up, and so the crowding really went down, and now people are seeing it more as this is back to, or close to back to what it used to be maybe a decade ago. And so, who knows? The AP landscape could change in this next decade. It's going to be interesting to see. Star Wars, I mean... For the company it was huge. It, it's it been part of the company really since the 80s with the opening of Star Tours um, and the relationship between George Lucas and Disney in general, especially with like Indiana Jones licensing and things like that. But when I'm thinking of best Disney thing, I think my park bias is going to show and I'm going to go with APs. And I'm going to say that only because... It was an opportunity for folks to feel like they were a part of the Disney experience and a part of the company at a manageable rate with these payment plans and allowed them to visit this this theme park that everyone in the world wants to go to. In the 90s, it was the whole I'm going to Disneyland celebration stuff. Like, It allows you to be a part of all that magic. And Star Wars has been around, and the acquisition has definitely helped, but I don't know that um, it did as much for the company or, or can be seen as uh, best as annual passes has. So for me, I'm choosing annual passes long winded way of saying that.
1: Yeah. I think these are two rather weak entrants on this bracket. Um, when it comes to star Wars, I grew up watching the movies very regularly, pretty much every day, but I wasn't like die hard. When the uh, like Force Awakens came out, I wasn't like, oh my god, Star Wars. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro, I was probably like a seven out of ten, you know. I was like, all right, this, this, this should be pretty cool. This should be pretty cool. I'll go see that. So I saw Force Awakens the day it came out at Downtown Disney, saw Rogue One the day it came out at Downtown Disney, hmm. and I feel that the movies have just. It's just kept declining in quality and like substance and it's gotten to the point where i'm like i just really don't care anymore it's kind of a controversial thing to love or hate the last jedi um i really do not like the last jedi not from like a star wars standpoint where like oh like they're they did the hyperspace maneuver through a star destroyer like you can't do that're like you can't you can't destroy the force books you can't you can't be a force ghost and like talk touch someone like i don't i don't care about that don't care about it it's just a super boring movie to be. um <laughs> so like this new uh skywalker uh rise of skywalker movies coming out uh, i will probably see it again because i like to be a part of the conversation and just like to you know be able to chat with people about it but um yeah i feel like since disney acquired star wars it's actually been trending in the wrong direction for me i don't like the mandalorian either everyone loves baby yoda i think it's super i think it's a boring show i think it's well done i i understand the appeal i would never take it away from anyone but it is not for me um Annual pass holders, another thing Disney kind of like dug themselves into this corner with annual passes where they handed out so many, caused these overcrowding problems in the park, made it a displeasurable experience to people who weren't annual pass holders that, you know, people are starting to think that it's not worth a single day ticket to go anymore because, you know, like we said earlier in this episode, I went for New Year's Eve and it was like... It was like not even fun, you know, like Disneyland is supposed to be fun. So I'm not too high on either one of these. Um, If we're talking about what's the best Disney thing of the 2010s, the thing I like about annual pass holders is that something I mentioned uh, when we were talking about the Avengers, it basically uh, Disney is no longer a thing that you consume, but it's a thing that you are and uh, it's a club that you're in, and it's kind of like a lifestyle at this point. And for that reason, I think I'm going to give it to annual passes and annual pass holders. Um, don't understand waiting for, like, three hours to get a magnet to put on the back of your car. <laughs> Not going to lie. All right. I was I was an annual pass holder once uh, a long time ago, 2005. Like, 2005. Um, this was before there was kind of, like, a large influx. I think people kind of, like, discovered the secret. Um, the Southern California pass was, like, 250 bucks or something. And, like, the people the people discovered the secret. So I think that's why we are where we are. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with annual pass holders uh, for this matchup. Uh, Tess, you're the only annual pass holder in this conversation what do you have to say about this matchup?
0: Um, I feel like I got into the annual pass holder game kind of late when they started realizing that they were giving annual pass holders too good of a deal. So there's, I feel like there's less free stuff than there used to be, um, which is kind of a bummer. But I actually did the math the other, the other day because I wanted to see what kind of money I was actually saving. And with how often I go, I go probably about like three to four times a month at least, um, which is costing me about 25 bucks a visit versus if you split up a five-day park hopper, it's $79 a day. So just knowing that, um, I definitely make good use of it. If you weren't going to make good use of it, like I have the signature pass, so it's the second most expensive. So if I still lived in Northern California, I wouldn't buy this one. I would buy a cheaper one because I would never get to go that often I'd have to go at least 15 times so right anyway so just the affordability of being able to go because I live here is great so the rest of the discounts and everything are an added perk when I look at it that way um like for example during the food and food festivals like the festival of holidays and food and wine festival I love the sip and savor pass where I just have you know my little passport and I give tickets to people and get good food um I was one of those people that waited in line for the pumpkin magnet. I only waited – I only waited – I don't know how long I waited. It wasn't that long. Um, and then less than a week later, it got stolen off my car at Disneyland. <laughs> so such a bummer. Not a on it. Um, Kyle, you were talking about the Galaxy's Edge crowd this past summer. I would actually – I actually thought that the reason why the crowds were so low – were because of vacationers not coming, not necessarily mm. annual pass holders. Because since the reservation period for Galaxy's Edge was, you know, between May and June, mm-hmm. that's where everyone planned their vacations if they were the diehard Galaxy's Edge people.
2: Sure. And then
0: people decided not to vacation the rest of the summer, either because they already went or because they assumed the crowds would be so high. So yeah. it was all of us annual pass holders who went because there were 10 minute line rides or 10 minute, yeah ride lines, um, and it was wonderful, and it was bliss, and it was the best summer ever, (laughs) but not for Disney because they, you know, obviously lost money because no one was in the parks. So, anyway, back to the conversation um, between Star Wars and AP. I'm surprised you guys chose AP, but, um, you know, I like my my annual pass. I like Star Wars, too. I think Star Wars of this decade, the best things that came out of it were BBA and Porgs. So...
2: (laughs) And I think that sums up why that did not move on.
1: (laughs) Moving over to the other side of the brackets, we got number two, Frozen, versus number 15, D23. Now, just like Avengers, Frozen is so much more than one movie. Um, It's two movies. (laughs) It's also... A theme park attraction in Florida. It's soon to be a full immersive land experience um, at a couple places around the world, Hong Kong and Paris. Um, It's all of the marketing and books and toys and everything, music and Broadway shows and tours um, that come along with it. Frequent listeners of the show will know that we love us some Frozen at Mouse Madness. D23, the official Disney fan club, founded in 2009. So it is exactly 10 years old as of the recording of this podcast, soon to turn 11. Um, And it's an expo, it's magazines, it's perks and discounts, and Disney Plus Founders Circle package benefits, and... um, limited release pins and merchandise and uh it, it's it's a bunch of stuff i am not a d23 member myself um but i do appreciate the way that it's created this community amongst the disney fan base 2008 2009 2010 11 comic con was such a big event for companies like disney like universal warner brothers to announce all of their major plans um, for film and television, Um, Disney has basically created their own outlet, their own opportunity, own platform to make these major announcements, and it has paid off for them they had an expo this year 2019 and people were lining up like four days before the expo was supposed to start on the streets of anaheim it was all anyone was talking about on twitter everyone was following along uh we did a little d23 review in one of the earliest episodes of this podcast all eyes are on disney during the d23 expo so um i really appreciate um, what has kind of grown out of, out of this um, in, in 2010. On the other hand, you got frozen. Like I said, it is a franchise, inspires boys, girls all around the world, adults, children, uh, people of all races, genders, identities, social statuses. I can't help but think we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to Frozen. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) You know, I do love the story. I do love the characters. I do love the music. It's definitely something that you think of immediately when someone says Disney Um, in 2019. You think of, uh, you know, Elsa and Anna and the music and stuff like that. But it can be polarizing, too. You know, people, there are a lot of people who don't like Frozen. Um, And it, it isn't for everyone and the merchandise can be kind of annoying at times you know like do we need like 60 billion different elsa and anna dolls like just give us like three give us like a medium (laughs) one and a tiny one and a big one and like it seems like it's taking on a life of its own everyone's trying to get a slice of the frozen pie and it can be uh exhausting there's there's definitely some frozen fatigue i think out there right now um from an outsider's perspective I'm not sure all of the D23 membership fees and stuff are worth uh, the perks that you actually get Um, maybe Kyle can talk a little bit more about that but I think just the um, hype that D23 builds and the community um, make it the better Disney thing this decade so I'm actually going to go D23 over Frozen
2: wow yeah that's what uh, that's an upset that i didn't even expect i think that so yes i'm a d23 um gold member which is just the paid membership it's a free you do free membership of it and you just you get the emails and the heads up on events and discounts and all kinds of stuff um the paid one you get a uh, yearly gift you get a magazine subscription you get a little bit heads up on um not only uh Events regarding the Disney Company, but also priority registration for the convention itself. Um, yeah, I as much as Frozen was important in this decade to uh, to the Disney Company and and what is Disney. I think that it's it's the peak of this rise of the new era of Disney animation, and so um, I don't know that all of the acclaim can be accounted to just Frozen, but really starting with um, Princesses and the Frog at the end of last decade, and then into Tangled and, and the revitalization of the animation company. Um, but you're right; it's this global phenomenon. It's it's, but it's also the bread and butter of what they've always done. Like you, you might not have Frozen, but you would always have Tangled, which is still a fantastic movie. Um, so if you take Frozen out, like the animation company was still doing big and great things to bring itself back into relevancy um, what I think makes D23 that much more important is that you already have the Disney film fan base coming back, now you've really created this uh, this community that fosters nerd culture and that's something that uh, I mean, that's what this podcast is, right Like we get into the weeds about things that don't really matter and um, now they're throwing conventions about it and it's And it's a place for for fans, just like annual pass holders, that you feel like you're a part of it. You feel like you're not only part of the magic, but of the company. And I think that's important to foster within a fan base. I mean, Chris, you and I work in sports, and I think that, and specifically social media. And I think that what's important in our realms and in our industries is making fans feel a part of it, making them feel a part of the game, making them feel a part of the team, a part of the brand, and holding these conventions, which baseball teams already do every year, um, is something that Disney tapped into and has brought great success and has really helped not only fan feedback, and they can kind of gauge what people are feeling and make decisions because of that. Um, but also you have this loyal fan base that is paying money to be a part of a fan club that you are operating. Like it's pretty smart. It's pretty genius. So Chris, I agree with you. I'd be moving D23 on past Frozen here. Tess, did you have the, the old fifteen two upset in your notes?
0: Um, yeah, only cause I don't know much about D23. So listening to you talk about it, you know, it swayed me a little bit more. Um, my biggest thing. From D23 is just, you know, when they reveal, make all their big reveals about all things Disney, that makes it great. Um, I get the Frozen fatigue thing, but I think Frozen 2 brought something so much bigger and so much better than the original Frozen movie, in my opinion, that it really, I don't know, if you had asked me this question two years ago, I might not have cared as much, but Frozen 2 really, really made me fall in love with the story all over again and even more, um, especially with um, bringing out other characters besides just um, Anna and Elsa. They finally gave Jonathan Groff his rightful spot (laughs) in the spotlight, front and center, all over the screen in an 80s ballad. (laughs) And uh, so that's my only upset is that I love Frozen 2, but D23 is great as well.
2: And here's what I'll say about D23, since I am the only member, it sounds like, on this podcast – If you live in not Southern California, it might not be worth it. I mean, I live in Northern California and have it, but there's a lot of events that I get asked to RSVP for, like tours of the Burbank studios and uh, special screenings at the studios and like all of these things that unless I'm planning a trip down there, I'll never get to. Um, The magazines are absolutely gorgeous and the art in them is fantastic. And so for me, um, paying the subscription to get those as well as the gift every year is is just worth it in my fandom. But to really utilize the entire thing, I would say stick to the SoCal folks so you can go take a tour of the studios and stuff. It's pretty cool. All right, so let's move down to number seven, Shanghai Disney versus number ten, Max Pass and Fast Pass Plus. So, Shanghai Disney. Uh, Shanghai Disneyland opened in 2016, and it was a pretty big thing because uh, China had already seen a park fail in Hong Kong Disneyland, and it was not doing very well. It was a a replica of Disneyland, um, but even smaller than Disneyland, and uh, it just wasn't working for the company, and if you watch the Imagineering story as we referenced uh, already, they kind of dive into uh, the reasonings behind that. and and what they've been trying to do to fix it but Shanghai was supposed to be kind of this we're doing it right for China this time Um, the massive castle some of the greatest technology and attractions that you can find across the world that's really trying to influence what we will do here stateside Um, their Pirates of the Caribbean ride is supposed to be the most incredible experience ever Um, the animatronics that they have in the rides over there are the most advanced and so it's really, uh, it's really a showcase of what Disney Imagineering can do without budget restraints, and I think that's really incredible and, and important. Um, MaxPass is essentially just a extension of the Disney app um, when you're in the parks. So instead of going to, from ride to ride and grabbing fast passes for rides to cut lines, uh, you can just book it on your phone. It's a reservation system, and so you can see what t- return times are, what passes are available to you. Um, most annual pass holders get it already for with their package. It's an add-on on top of your your single day tickets, but it's super useful, especially for uh, people who might be regulars to the park who don't need to walk up to every ride to decide if they want to go on it or not. It helps with the planning process. It's pretty, it's pretty great. When I think what's what's been best for the Disney company and what's the best Disney thing, um, Fast Passes already exist and have existed. This is just another uh, iteration of it, and I and it almost feels like it it's going to end up backfiring just because once the rest of park goers catch on that you can just get this stuff on your app, like Fast Pass lines are already increasing and are long, and standby lines are already super long it's just gonna make it easier to make those lines a little bit longer, um, as opposed to forcing you to run from attraction to attraction and really strategize how you're gonna do that. Um, Shanghai Disney, I think, was the big moment in which we remembered after Cars Land that Disney can still put together some pretty incredible parks and attractions. And it was really, DCA 2.0 was like, look at what we're doing to improve, just wait until you see what we do over in Shanghai, And they did it amazingly. Um, And so I think in this case, I'm moving Shanghai Disneyland on.
1: Yeah, I um, have never been to Shanghai Disney. You have never been to Shanghai Disney. I'm sure Tess has never been to Shanghai Disney. Um, Would love to go one day. Uh, But if you want to get a little glimpse of what it's like there, you can just head over to YouTube. Two rides to definitely check out the Tron Light Cycle attraction which is coming soon to the magic kingdom in florida and check out their river rapids ride Hmm. which is like if a grizzly river run had a dark ride element to it that was like expedition everest level of advanced and scary it's like it looks so so sick there is only one park for now uh in shanghai there's also a toy story hotel there's a little disney village there I'm not too high on Shanghai Disney because it is very IP based. The Pirates of the Caribbean ride is like a very, very, very sad, sad representation of the original attraction. It's got so much stuff from the movies, which are good movies, but it's just a little bit confusing and and there are some great effects in there but there is also a lot of screens too um the scene in the original parts of the Caribbean where you go out and there's the pirate ship the Wicked Wench on your left and there's the um fort on the right and they're battling each other that's almost entirely a 360 video screen experience um in Shanghai and it, to me, it, it makes it feel a little bit less realistic, less immersive. Um, it feels more intense, but uh, it's kind of unfortunate that they did that to such a classic attraction. And there's no Haunted Mansion. How are you going to build a Disney park without a Haunted Mansion, man? <laughs> um, Max Pass and Fast Pass Plus, I am not a fan of. <laughs> I have a soft spot for the original hard ticket Fast Pass just because I really liked the. Strategy of like, you know, where to go to get one, and and what time to get one for, and whether or not you should use your you know one fast pass slot to get that ride right now, um, and the app just makes it so much easier to just like cheese it and abuse it. You know, you can be wheeling and dealing, picking up drop in new time slots all the time. Um, and it's just it it kind of distracts from my enjoyment of the day because I'm so focused on like what I'm gonna do three rides from now. You know, if if I were to have it my way, we would just go back to just no fast passes and everyone waits in the same line. But Disney can upsell its vacationers with the Fast Pass Plus system, especially in Florida where you stay at a Disney resort, you get you know six months in advance, you can book all your rides. And that makes Fast Passes like Flight of Passage literally impossible to get. Seven Dwarves Mine Train, literally impossible to get. So the Fast Pass experience, especially in Florida, is extremely frustrating to me. And so you end up using all your Fast Passes on like B-tier attractions. Like, you know, you'll get Pirates of the Caribbean one. And if you're lucky, you'll get a Soren one. And maybe like a Cali River Rapids one or something. So... I like a good old-fashioned fast pass system better yet I like no fast passes. I do love what Shanghai's doing like you said with the quality. Can't wait for Tron likes light cycle. I'm going with Shanghai here.
2: All right. There it is. Tess, Shanghai Fastpass.
0: Um I I'm really interested in Shanghai Disneyland. I I'm one of those, again, Disney nerd coming out. Um, When I'm doing chores on the weekends, I'll just like have YouTube playing on the TV and I'll like look up like ride stuff from other parks that I haven't visited. Um, I, to go to your point, um, I was, when I watched Pirates of the Caribbean at Shanghai, I was super impressed just because I wasn't really paying attention and I'm looking and all of a sudden your boat goes like underwater or out of water. And I was super impressed with it. But I didn't really pay attention to the fact that it, you know, does less of the animatronics. Um, But Shanghai, one fun fact about it is that the metro system in Shanghai goes directly to the front gates of Shanghai. So Mm. it's super accessible to the people that live there and people who are visiting from nearby. Um, So I thought that was super cool because most Disney parks are known for being on a plot of land that's outside of the city. So the fact that the metro system goes right up to the front, I thought was super cool. Um, and when it comes to Max Pass being an annual pass holder, I don't use I don't use it as part of my annual pass just because I'm only going to use it if my friends have it and they don't, so I don't pay for it. But when my friends come to vacation, I tell them that it's a must do if you want to get everything done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like the perks of it when vacationing. I don't need to use it when I'm an annual pass holder because I can just try again next time. So when I'm comparing between the two, I think Shanghai looks like a great park. And I hope that I can go visit it someday.
1: Cool. So Shanghai advancing to the Elite Eight. We're going slow, but we are going steady here. Moving on to number three, Disney Plus versus number 14, Disney Springs. This one's pretty easy for me. Disney Plus has changed the way we all consume our Disney content. It just came out a couple of months ago uh, at the very end of the decade here, but it's already impressive and exciting and cannot wait to see what it has in store for us in the 2020s. I do want to give some credit to Disney Springs, Disney Springs was the downtown Disney area of Orlando. It was very cheap, just like California Adventure. Very like jumbled and didn't have a very strong identity. Felt like it could have just been like a shopping mall anywhere in America. They completely revamped it, completely themed the whole thing. It is absolutely beautiful. One of the most impressive shopping facilities in the world love spending time there i could spend an entire day in disney springs so cool but doesn't hold a candle to the impressiveness and the impactfulness of disney plus
2: yep i agree i don't really have any more to say i think disney plus just moves on here tess did you have disney plus going on
0: i definitely did it's been taking up most of my free time I especially love the Imagineering story, so that's been my favorite Saturday morning coffee watch. Just learning about all the ins and outs of the park, um, about the parks and the whole company in general has been great. And finding old hidden gems, such as yeah. my my old hidden gem that I watch is the 1992 Winnie the Pooh show. Um, that's my <laughs> That's my new Saturday morning cartoon, so it's been great.
2: Love it. All right, let's wrap up this round of sixteen with number six, Black Panther, and number eleven, the live-action remakes. I think if we're if we're talking about what's been best best Disney thing, uh, you have the live actions are pretty close, except for some exceptions, pretty close to shot-for-shot remakes of their predecessor animated films. Um, Cinderella, you can kind of see as an outlier there, and which is arguably, I think, between Chris and I, it's we think it's the best one of the live-actions. Uh, you also have Black Panther, which I think, not only is Black Panther, especially in, in the later Avengers movies, he is an Avenger, but the relevance of Black Panther, not only as a, as a movie as a superhero, as a, an entity, uh, as a whole, its influence over people and and its representation of a culture that Disney hasn't really tapped into or it doesn't really represent is super important. And it's one of those things that I talked about earlier. It's it's probably on their mission board. It's like, how, how are we going to be more inclusive? It's like, well, we don't need to always have, like, white superheroes we can have superheroes of color and we can have superheroes that are women of color and and really opening the door to what marvel is and and bringing in this new fan base that maybe wasn't exposed to a disney property but now that you have them coming to see black panthers especially in theaters you're getting pre-roll that's all disney stuff like you're exposing your brand to this entirely new audience with the live action remakes you're getting it's it's all just nostalgia based which is what a lot of disney was really founded on is nostalgia and, and especially with walt it's a lot of nostalgia stuff but it's just to it's what chris and i talked about on a on a bonus episode where we broke down frozen 2 it's a lot of fan service and is that really the best disney thing is uh, an hour and 45 minutes of fan service Or is it taking a property and and making it your own? I think it's the latter. So I'm moving Black Panther on past the live-action remakes.
1: I will agree with you. I think the live-action remakes are a total misstep for Disney. I agree that the identity of Disney has a lot to do with nostalgia, but it's like being nostalgic for things outside of itself. This is Disney being nostalgic about Disney, and that is... Not my Disney. Um, I love when Disney looks for new ways to inspire people, looks for unique ways to inspire people. Black Panther is a perfect example of that. Live action remakes are not. It's going with a Black Panther.
2: Well, usually we get ourselves into the round of four before we end an episode, but you're just going to have to wait until after the new year to hear the next of it. Uh, we have our elite 8 picked out starting at the top of the bracket there we have number one Avengers verse number nine projection mapping we have number four DCA 2.0 verse number 12 annual pass holders on the other side we have D23 verse Shanghai Disneyland and to round out the elite 8 we have Disney plus verse black panther Tess, your first episode what do you think? What do you think of this elite eight?
0: I think it's gonna keep. We're gonna keep on. Hopefully, not talking quite as long, or maybe we should talk quite as long. I love talking about this stuff, but I think well, it gives us a lot to talk about still. So I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this discourse. I think we got to incorporate a lot of elements from a lot of different Disney things, and I cannot wait to further break some of these things down next episode. So until then. Thank you very much, Tess. As always, you can tweet us at Mouse Pod. You can send us a lengthy email at MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com, or you can chat with us on our Discord server linked in the podcast description. We will see you guys to round out the decade in our next episode. See you real soon.